Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 7, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 23, Mark chapter 7. There's a pew Bible there. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along in in the Bible so that you know where our authority is. It is not in ourselves, but in God's Word. And this is the very Word of God. Mark 7, beginning in verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes, who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots, and copper vessels, and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, These people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus Christ and even that we can read these words of Christ and be reminded of what he spoke and how he is still active, interceding for the saints, praying for them, and that your Spirit who inspired these, dev- these authors, these these apostles who inspired them to write down these things so that we would have your inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. We thank you for all of this provision, Heavenly Father. And we show that, we see that you, you actually have shown to us what this fatherly care is supposed to be like. 
you provide us with all that is needed for life and godliness. You give it all to us. And we thank you that even today, on this Lord's Day, when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we also note it is called Father's Day, and we thank you for the gift of fathers, for those who have fathered us, those who have cared for us, those who have provided for us, those who have protected us, those who have provided an example for us. And we see that there is an attack on fathers in this day, that there is a denial of fathers and their duties and roles and rights and responsibilities. I pray for the fathers in this congregation that you would give them courage and that you would give them courage because you give them faith, that they would trust you to be the men that they ought to be, even honoring you in all their lives and in their marriages and their families. Lord, we thank you that you have provided fathers in the church, even those elders and overseers and pastors, even as we have installed DJ and Jared. And we thank you for their ministry amongst us. And we look forward to the way that they will care for us and look after us, even as they seek to follow you. Continue to bless the elders of Calvary Grace, even as we seek to navigate difficult days. Help us to please you in all things. We pray as well for DJ and, and Jared, even as they undertake this work, as, as they are fathers in their own families and their husbands. We thank you for Anna and for Gail, and we pray that you would meet their needs in the days ahead and that you would sustain them. And we thank you even for their sacrifices for this church. We pray as well for Josh Carey, who is leaving us, being sent out to go shepherd Grace Church in Cochrane. Lord, we, we thank you for the privilege of participating in your mission, even this, this mission to see the name of Jesus Christ spread abroad. We thank you that Josh and Julie and their family have taken up this charge, and we pray that you would meet their needs as they prepare for that new work at Grace Cochrane. Lord, there are many things that trouble us in the world. There are many things we are worried about. We can look at our government. We can look at the media. We can look at parades and propaganda. But Lord, help us not to fear. Help us to fear you instead, that we would have great confidence in all of your purposes at work in the world and that we would keep the main thing the main thing as we trust in Jesus Christ alone and seek to know him and make him known. Father, help us to that end, even as we consider what it is to grow in the Lord. Keep us from folly. Keep us from worldly thinking. Keep us from traps, even that the enemy would design. And we ask that your word would come to us now with power, even according to your Holy Spirit, and that you would glorify your own name today. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All human religions you think of all the religions out there, all human religions are focused on performance. By contrast, the Christian gospel is concerned with the heart. And as we've had new shepherds installed to care for the flock, those men must engage in heart work. It's the most important work. That's why, in one sense, shepherding, pastoring, eldering in the flock of God, it, is, it has a unique challenge. Because although there might be you know, things like keeping a calendar or, or working on a, a sermon or a Bible talk or, or any number of things, working in some type of counseling, all those things can be difficult. There is something uniquely difficult 
about engaging with the heart, not just external behavior. It is the most important work. But when we think about religion and man-made religion, just think, what, what comes to your mind when you think about religion? When I, when, I, when I say that word, what comes to your mind? And my guess is, most of the time, if you're like me, we think about do's and don'ts. The do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts associated with a holy book. Do's and don'ts associated with an institution. Certainly right now, we're entering into a time when there's a new religion that is being being put in front of us. It's appearing on the scene. It's characterized by its celebration of self. It's the religion of pride. We see it everywhere. And like all religions, even a new religion must establish its do's and don'ts. Some things must be affirmed and supported. Perhaps, you know, you're being told you need to put a a rainbow striped flag publicly somewhere. Of course, with new religions, they're going to say there are things to be rejected and denounced. So, for example, you're supposed to denounce heteronormativity, that it's not normal to be heterosexual. Do's and don'ts. Once they're established, of course, then they become traditions. And the longer a tradition lasts, then the harder it is to break with tradition. Now, Jesus Christ, of course, was born into a very religious culture. He was raised in Judaism. He was exposed to the Greek syncretism of Jewish ideas. And he lived under the enforced religious pluralism of the Roman Empire. The Romans didn't care which God you worshipped. Just don't say that there's only one God to worship. They allowed everything except that. But in all of this religion, religion everywhere in Jesus' day, Jesus knew the hearts of men and women. He understood the hearts of boys and girls. He understood what makes us tick. He understood what drives our passions. He knows what makes us feel safe and what makes us feel secure. Jesus understood religion. Now, as we've installed these two men, DJ and Jared, they're going to have to be very careful to follow Jesus' lead going forward in this ministry because there are religious traps that they could face. It's the traps with pastors and elders and overseers. That's all the same thing. What they can fall into. They can fall into these traps and and they can fall into the traps of the performance, enforcing the performance of do's and don'ts rather than shepherding the sheep, feeding the flock, guiding the godly, and leading the members from the inside out. They have to lead people from the inside out. That's the most critical thing, from the inside out, being concerned with the inside that is expressed outwardly. Focusing on the heart, that then the heart shows itself in the life, in the walk, rather than merely looking at external performance only. And this is what these new elders have to do. And it's what Jesus did in this epic confrontation with the Pharisees in Mark 7. Now, uh, I've just driven all over Western Canada in the last uh, couple of days. Uh, so I'm, I don't really want to drive anywhere else for a while. But I was teaching out in southern Saskatchewan all week at Miller College of the Bible. And then I had to drive from southern Saskatchewan to Edmonton, which I never really liked going to Edmonton. Uh, I prefer Calgary to Edmonton. Sorry, all you Edmonton people. But I don't really like going up there. But anyways, went up there for a funeral. And when I'm up there, it's kind of an oil patch town, Edmonton is. And one of the things I see is one of the bumper stickers that's on the, on the trucks 
is this, this bumper sticker, and it says, Dirty hands, clean money. Dirty hands, clean money. I'm not talking about the other bumper sticker. It's an oil patch slogan, dirty hands, clean money. What it means is that for these oil patch workers, they're usually in some kind of a trade, they get their hands dirty doing their job. But what they see is that by getting their hands dirty, their work has a certain dignity. It has a certain nobility. The money they earn is clean. It's well earned. And that's kind of the point. And so it kind of reveals this sort of inside-outside way of viewing life. You can achieve things that might appear noble, they might appear acceptable, but maybe you lie and cheat to accomplish them. We see this everywhere. Or you can do things that are relatively unrecognized or uncelebrated, but you do them from an inner integrity, from honesty and virtue. I was at this funeral yesterday. Lyle Richards, my wife's grandfather, who has been a he pastored six churches, got saved at 37. Got saved at 37, very late in life, and then pastored and did ministry for 37 years. Remarkable testimony. And yet, he's not a, one of these Christian celebrities. But it was ministry from the heart in faithfulness over all of those years, relatively uncelebrated, unrecognized, and yet there was an inner integrity and honesty. So it's not just, a, just an oil patch idea. There was a lot of work that that pastor had done, that Lyle had done, getting his hands dirty in ministry, you could say, but it was from a clean heart. It was from a clean heart. And that's, that's the morality that we need to see in all of life. The difference between looking good and being good. And how can you be good? How can you be good before God? Well, you need Jesus Christ to come and wash away your sins. You need Jesus Christ to credit His righteousness to you and take your sins upon Himself. You need Christ. You don't come to Christ with a good heart. You come to Him for one. So in contrast to the, the morality of all religions, all religions are trying to make you look good. That somehow, somehow it might change you inside and make you feel good, but you can never do enough to be good before God. This is not the case with Jesus Christ. He knows that everything must start on the inside. The heart must change. And then the outside will reflect what is in the heart. Now in Mark 7, this was put to the test. It's kind of all, of all of Mark 7, talking about this encounter with the Pharisees, seemed very distant to us. But basically, Jesus was confronted by, let's call them, the religious performance police. That's who was going at him. They're the, they're the kind of public safety commission. And he had to answer these Pharisees, the sort of law enforcement officials of Judea. And we're going to find out that his crime was letting his disciples eat food without sanitizing their hands. And, you know, like any of these issues, it's, it's not really about sanitization. It's about the authority of who is in charge. And uh, I'll have to say on the dirty hands question, I'm probably guilty of not you know, putting the hand sauce on my hands as much as I should. Uh, kind of slow on that. And probably eat with dirty hands more than I should. Uh, so might be guilty as charged on this one. But really, in the question of the dirty hands, the problem is not the dirty hands. The problem is dirty hearts. It's not dirty hands that's the problem. It's the need for a clean heart through faith in Jesus Christ. So we see then, as we look in Mark 7, verses 1 to 5, Jesus confronts these Pharisees as they're coming at him. 
The Pharisees have hunted down Jesus and his group. They came from Jerusalem for this purpose, verse 1. And they, quote, saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, verse 2. And then verses 3 and 4, he gives an explanation, Mark does, of the Jewish practice. Specifically, that these washings were according to something called, quote, the tradition of the elders. And that phrase is repeated. So the tradition of the elders was the way in which in Judaism they had taken the inspired scriptures and started to add traditions about how that's to be applied. And as the traditions mounted up, the traditions became the authority and the Bible was forgotten. So, you, you know, it's kind of like you're in a church and you ask the question, well, why do, you, why do you do things the way you do? And somebody says, I don't know. We've just always done it that way. It's just a tradition. And that's what's happened in Judaism. Now, the presenting issue, you can say, are these ceremonial washings. There was a certain order and a manner in which these Jewish folks were supposed to wash their hands in relation to food. Now, you think, oh, well, I wash, you know, you wash your lettuce when you bring it home, right? If you don't, it's got those little bugs in it, right? No, it's not, for, it's not merely for that. It's the idea that there might have been a Gentile who touched your lettuce. And that Gentile ceremonially defiled your lettuce. And so that's why it needed to be washed. Not merely to make it clean so you want to eat it, but to make it clean before God because the Jews wanted to be separate from the Gentiles. This was a tradition that was built up and added. Now the, now the disciples, they might have actually washed their hands to eat, just to wash the grime off. But they weren't washing their hands in the prescribed ceremonial way. Maybe, you know, just give their hands you know, that quick rinse and wipe them on your jeans like the guys do in my house. Um, oh yeah, they're clean. <laughs> the jeans are dirty. <laughs> yeah. so, anyways. However it was or wasn't done, it wasn't done the ceremonial way that was required. So the real issue is not about the washings. That's what the Pharisees were going after these guys about. The real issue was whether or not Jesus and his disciples would submit to the traditions of the elders. It's about who's in charge. Would they submit, would the disciples and Jesus himself, would they submit to the authority of the Pharisees as the interpreters of the law? It's about power, it's about authority would these disciples get with the program? Or were they going to rebel and resist this long-established tradition of the elders? So that's the issue. So that's, that's how, how it goes. And that's the question, verse 5. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? It's a confrontation of authority. It's a kind of a question. It's kind of like, who do you think you are to confront the way things have always been done? And so, Jesus confronts this hypocrisy. He said, verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, so he's calling out their hypocrisy. And then he quotes from Isaiah 29. And what's the issue? Is the issue the washings? Is, it, is the issue honoring God? Is the issue trying to, trying to be careful about keeping separate from the Gentiles? No, the issue, he says, is this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See, this is what happens to you, what happens to me, when we get into thinking that the way that we do things is the big deal. 
when our hearts are removed. So, for example, we just had like just an awesome time of singing, right? It was great. Was it possible to sing really loudly and have your mind be something on something else other than God? Probably. Probably. You know, you're distracted, right? And at that point, we're doing the right thing, but our hearts are far from God. Now, maybe your heart, you're fully engaged in thinking about the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. But our hearts are prone to wander, as the hymn writer said. You know, I don't know about you, I can get distracted at at any point. You know, worrying about all kind of manner of things. And yet, out of habit, you can sing. Or, out of habit, you know, what happens when you read the Bible? You're reading along, you're reading the Bible, you're doing the right thing, but where's your mind going? Well, I did my devotions, I I read my passage. Yeah, but where was your mind? And so we can all do this. Our hearts can be far from God even as we say things. We'll, we'll, we'll sing to God or we'll speak about God or we'll say, God bless you, and we're not really even thinking about God. Verse 7 is such an indictment both in Isaiah's day and then, then here in Jesus' day. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So, this idea that it was pleasing to God to wash the lettuce and wash it from any Gentile contamination, and that that was your act of worship, that was true worship, the idea that way, he's saying that is in vain. You think you're worshiping God by doing that stuff? It's false, because God didn't prescribe that. He didn't say for them to do that. And so this is always a great danger in religious communities in the church. Verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. I spent the week uh, with pastors who were taking the master's program at Miller College of the Bible. And we were just talking about the state of churches and many of them are Many of these pastors in their little congregations, they're, they're looking to buy a building. And they told me about their frustration that they would love to buy these church buildings that are out there, but that there's these congregations that have long since forsaken the Bible and forsaken the gospel and forsaken God, and yet they keep holding the tradition of keeping the church going when they are not, there's no, there's no true God there. It's all false. And so these pastors are saying, well, if only those guys would sell us their building. But they won't even sell us their building. And we know that experience here where, thankfully, the previous congregation sold us this building. But it's amazing how religious groups can keep the traditions going long after they have forsaken God. They leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Jesus then doubled down on this in verses 9 through 13. It's a kind of very technical thing talking about the practice of some of these, some of these Pharisee guys and what they would do. And he said, He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And then he's going to drill them. He's he's really going to get them here. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. Well, we know this. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. So Jesus goes back to the Bible. He makes reference from Exodus 20, verses 12, and Exodus 21, verse 17. So So Jesus goes back to the inspired scriptures. And then he says, verse 11, but you say. So not what the Bible says, but what you say. And then he kind of paints a scenario. If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. So basically the idea was, it's kind of like, if I can kind of put it in modern terms, it'd be like 
seeing someone who had saved up a bunch of money, and then they said, well, I'm going to go into ministry. So all this money I've saved up, well, now it's for the Lord. And so I'm going to live quite well in ministry. I guess that analogy doesn't really work. No, it, it, it can. You've got TV preachers can be like that. You know, they kind of amass this wealth, all this kind of thing. And then you'd have elderly parents, and you'd say, well, uh, you kind of look after yourself. You elderly parents, I'm not going to look after you. I don't care about you because my money is for God. And you kind of spiritualize your greed. Fortunately, I wasn't here for the, for the um, men's breakfast yesterday talking about greed. But it's amazing how Christians or professed Christians can spiritualize their greed. And that's what the Pharisees did. They spiritualize it. They said it's Corban. In other words, it's devoted to God. So I'm not going to actually obey the Bible. I'm going to spiritualize it. And, and it's kind of an escape clause to avoid being obedient. And Jesus goes directly at them. He says, verse 13, thus making the word of God by your tradition, he makes it void is the word. Thus making void. The word of God, it's emptied. It doesn't, it doesn't have any authority making the void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. So that's not the only instance, but he gives a specific instance. See, it's great danger for us that in our work, in our ministry, in our church, in our lives, that we take our opinions, we take our applications, we take our traditions, and we start to be so proud of them and feel that they're so important that we start to elevate them to the level of God's inspired word and even beyond. And as soon as we do that, we are saying that the word of God is not authoritative. It doesn't matter. We've emptied it of all power and authority. So just think about yourselves. You, you might have all kinds of opinions. Religious opinions. Spiritual opinions. Your opinion about what the Bible says. Your opinion on how to apply things. Your opinion with what you do on Sunday. Your opinion with how you do, do things with your money. How you raise your kids. Your opinions on various doctrines even. Various conclusions about the Bible. You have opinions. But as soon as you elevate the opinions above the authority of Scripture, you void the Word of God. It was, it was helpful. So DJ made a comment in the, in the Q&A in Sunday school, if you saw that, talking about confessions of faith. And he just made the point. He said, yeah, here's the confessions of faith. They're useful. They're applications of doctrine. But the, only the Scriptures are inerrant and infallible. They are our authority. So we've got to be careful about our strong opinions. It's, it's okay to have convictions. It's okay to have good strong convictions, but you've got to be careful that you're not elevating those to the level of Scripture and beyond. It's a great threat for us, even in our own day. Well, what's Jesus then getting at? Verse 14, He called the people to Him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. And this is it, verse 15. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. That is the key thought, the key principle. So it isn't what you ingest, it's not what you absorb, it's not what you touch, it's not what you taste, it's not where you walk, it's not what you associate with. That isn't actually what defiles you. You think of Jesus' own ministry. Jesus held up and touched a Roman coin with Caesar's face on it. The zealots wouldn't even touch those coins. Why? Because it was defiling in their view. Jesus touched it, held it up. Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman at the well. Many viewed that not only should you not be talking with a Samaritan, 
You shouldn't be talking with a Samaritan woman. You shouldn't even be in Samaria, so most Jews wouldn't even walk through Samaria because they would get defiled if they walked through Samaria. And Jesus sat down and talked to her and treated her like a real person. Jesus was often accused of eating with who? With, yeah, sinners, tax collectors and sinners. We still don't like tax collectors today, I don't think. But the point about the tax collectors and sinners was it was the view of sinners as being specifically covenant breakers. Those that had broken the covenant that Jews understood they had with God. So Jesus, he wasn't defiled by them. And of course, the most, the most explicitly defiling thing in all of Judaism, and certainly in all the Roman Empire, was that Jesus carried a cross. The Greek word for cross, staros, it was a swear word. It was, it, was a, it was a term that was not spoken in polite company. It was so disgusting and defiling to even be associated with a cross. And Jesus had to carry it. All these things were ceremonially defiling according to the tradition of the elders. But Jesus says, no, no, no. It's the things that come out of a person that are what defile him. Dirty hands, does that defile? No. No. It's not the outside. It's not the facade. It's, it's not the point of contact. Rather, it is the point of origin. It's not the point of contact, it's the point of origin. In other words, what comes out of a person is what defiles. The disciples, like some of you even right now, they were confused. Jesus said, verse 17, when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said, then are you also without understanding? Well, it is a little hard because we're trained by religion to think everything is about what's outside. But Jesus isn't bringing religion. He's bringing himself. And so, Jesus explained in verse 19, since, do, do you not, he says, verse 18, do you, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart it's not, it's not coming into your heart. It's not coming into your heart, but goes into his stomach and is expelled. The point of contact is not the heart in all of your encounters. That's, that's not what's being contacted. Talking about food, it it's goes into your stomach, and then you go to the bathroom. And then Mark adds this interesting tidbit at the end of verse 19. He's, he adds what Peter, who influenced Mark, what Peter later learned, he says, thus he declared all foods clean. Amazing thing, because for Jews, no, 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 there's kosher food and then there's everything else. And Jesus, just like that, it's all clean. You, any, you can eat anything, receive with thanksgiving. And of course, later on, Peter learned it later on in Acts chapter 10. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. He gets the heavenly vision and he can eat all of these formerly unclean foods. But Jesus already taught it here. It was already here. So if the point of contact doesn't defile, if, if what you eat or what you touch, if that doesn't defile, then what's the problem? Does anything defile us? Well, then, Jesus said in verses 20 through 23, He said, the problem is from 
within. It's inside, from within, out of the heart of man, the heart of men and women. Not the point of contact, but the point of origin. And then look at that list. Look at that list. The list. Jesus is giving a list to apply to the heart like a massive, it's like a massive warning label on a bottle of poison. Look at this list. Evil thoughts. Sexual immorality. You could just stop right there. The issue is not the stuff out there, but what is the heart doing in connecting to what's out there? What's the, what are the evil thoughts coming from the inside that wants to latch on without what's out there? Sexual immorality. It's not the acts out there. It's where it starts inside from the heart going out. And then he says theft, murder, adultery, coveting. It's basically going to go and recap the second table of the Ten Commandments. But he's going further because he's talking about the heart. The heart issues. Then he says wickedness, deceit, sensuality. Well, what are these? Are these about points of contact? This is actually about internal desires to do evil. It's it's from the inside. To, To do evil, to lie, and to embrace lust, and to want to be lusted after. It's all on the inside, do you see? He says envy, slander, pride, as we mentioned earlier. Envy, slander, and pride. This is personal arrogance that hates competition. You, 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 you're mad because someone else has the sun shining on them. You're mad. And so you, you cook up inside your mind bad things to think about them and then to say about them, but it comes from the inside. You're so caught up in the rule and reign of yourself that you're dominated by pride. And of course, it's interesting, the last one is foolishness. But of course, the fool says in his heart what? There is no God. There is no God. And some of us, we act, especially in the midst of sin, we act as if God is not there. Well, this is the problem then, even as Winston Churchill said, and he's not, not a theologian, not a Christian as far as I know, but he did get this right. He said the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And so what's needed? What is needed? We need not dirty hearts, we need clean hearts. It's not about what you're touching. It's about what's going on in your heart. J.I. Packer, speaking of the Puritans who were just giants in respect to this, he said they had a minute acquaintance with the human heart. Some of us don't even know our own hearts. We don't know, we, we, we don't really, we just, we just react, we just go, we don't really think about what's going on inside. And when you come to church, then, oh, I've got to, there's do's and don'ts at church, and that's what church is about. No, church is not about do's and don'ts. It is about issues of the heart, what's, what's in the heart and what comes out of the heart. Where's the defilement? What makes you dirty? Is it the outside? Are we worried about all the, all the filth that's out there that's going to defile us? No, no, no. That actually isn't the concern. The concern is what's going on in the heart. If the heart is the source of defilement as Jesus is teaching, then cleansing the heart is our greatest need. Each of you needs a cleansed heart. 
curing our true heart sickness. This is what the prophet said in Ezekiel 11 and Ezekiel 36, 26 and Jeremiah 31, 33. This idea of taking this defiled, corrupt heart, a heart of stone, a heart that does not have the law written on it, and taking it away and putting in a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that doesn't need to observe the law externally. It has the law written on the heart, Jeremiah 31, 33, and then out of the heart is obedience to God. Not somebody telling you, twisting your arm to obey. You want to obey. You want to love God. You want to please Him. And when you do that, you have what Paul tells the Philippians in Philippians 4. You have the peace of God that guards your heart. Or, as Colossians 3.15, the peace of Christ rules your heart. That's what we want to be concerned with, this heart religion. You know the song? What can wash away my sin? Lots of traditions of the elders? No, 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 no. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Where is the blood of Jesus applied? It's got to be applied to your heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit where? Within me, inside. So, there are dirty hands, but we need a clean heart. And for these brothers who are coming in as elders, they need to be concerned with the saints' hearts here. And I would suggest that they have two options. The first option is that DJ and Jared and the rest of us, we could create a new set of rules. The new traditions of the elders. And sometimes you might think that's how it operates around here. Oh yeah, well this is, you know, this is just Clint's tradition. Or the elders board's traditions. And we just establish these rules to control outward behavior. Well, and that's an option. That, that, that could be done. But that would be awful. Because their other option is that they would present people to Jesus and that He would cleanse their hearts by the Spirit. That hopefully, failingly, in limited ways, in faltering ways, not in the ways we'd like to, but that is what we would like as pastors at Calvary Grace, that is what we want for all of you, is to present you simply to Jesus and that He would cleanse you from sin. And then He works on your heart and He can motivate you in way better than any of us can. We, can. we could either religiously enforce points of contact or we could minister to the point of origin. Minister to your hearts. Where does this leave us? You, you might be here and you're feeling, you're feeling that there have been defilements that you've come into contact with, but I'm here to tell you, friends, all the defilements of the world cannot touch a cleansed heart. You might have been misrepresented or misunderstood or betrayed or abused or injured or deprived or disappointed or whatever the defilements are that apparently seem to be so, but it does not matter if God has cleansed your heart. You can stand clean before God. And that is the most precious thing in the entire world. By contrast, the world religion, all of the religions, including the pride religion, says that whatever your outside desires, or wherever your outside finds acceptance, your inside has to follow. If you're injured or abused from the outside, your inside must always see yourself as defined by that abuse, or that harm, or that injury, or that defilement. But friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Because the gospel works from the inside out. Your trauma doesn't define you. 
Your sickness doesn't define you. Your feelings don't define you. Rather, if you're without Christ today, your heart, alienated from God, that defines you. Your heart, alienated from God, defiles you. You've got a dirty heart. But God is greater than your heart. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, He will give you a new heart. A completely new, cleansed, washed heart. And then with a new heart before God, that defines you. Not your points of contact, but the ways in which you have embraced the gospel and been forgiven from all defilement, being accepted by the Father, by the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. You're invited, welcomed to come to that cleansing today. Let's pray together. Holy God, I ask that you would cleanse us of our sins and that our obedience and our performance would not be phony and hypocritical, but that it would be because we love you and it's because you've changed our hearts. Do that, we pray, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise as we sing together from the heart. I'm going to ask Jared and DJ to come over. I'm going to issue words of benediction, but afterwards, I just encourage you to come up afterwards and shake hands, give the right hand of fellowship to these two brothers. It is a gift from God that he would provide elders for the church elders to act as under-shepherds of Jesus Christ, the great shepherd. So it's with that in view that we consider as our benediction, Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Go in peace. You're dismissed. Okay, brother. Hey, brother. Give me a right hand of fellowship again. (laughs)